Welcome to the First Contact Headache and Primary Care Podcast, where we break down topics in headache medicine for healthcare professionals seeing patients with headache disorders. This is a special episode from our Migraine and Women's Health mini-series. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, I'm Dr. Nina Riggins, headache specialist and neurologist at the University of California. Welcome back to our Women's Health mini-series of the First Contact Headache and Primary Care podcast. Today, we are going to continue our discussion that we started during last episode, helping patients manage their migraine while pregnant. But first, I'd like to reintroduce Dr. Susan Hutchinson, a family physician and headache specialist, director of the Orange County Migraine and Headache Center in Irvine, California, and Dr. Catherine Stika, an obstetrician and gynecologist from Northwestern University in Chicago and a reproductive clinical pharmacologist. It is a pleasure to be here with you, Dr. Riggins and Dr. Stitka. And me too also. Um, I, I'm very excited about talking about a subject that is truly important to me. What do you uh, get concerned during pregnancy when person comes with headache who uh, has migraine? Uh, let me turn to Dr. Hutchinson. What are red flags concerning signs? Is change in aura is one of them during pregnancy? Yeah, that's a great question, Dr. Riggins. I think the thing for all of us to remember, and I have to remind myself of this, is that our women with migraine, when they get pregnant, they can get other secondary causes of headaches. So I always have to remember, you know, even our patients with migraine can develop other headaches. So when would I get concerned? I would get concerned if she or her headaches were worsening and not responding to some of the treatments that Dr. Stitkin and I discussed. So lack of response to what normally was working prior to pregnancy. And also given the fact that most women, their migraines get better during pregnancy, they think, I think any woman who her headaches are getting worse and not better, that's cause for concern. I may not necessarily image her right away. And a lot of this I have to do in collaboration with the treating obstetrician. But you do mention the aura. I think if a woman has new onset aura during pregnancy or worsening of migraine with aura, that certainly would be a cause for concern. And then most most, uh, listeners probably are very familiar with the snoot mnemonic. And that can be useful, I think, both during pregnancy and even in non-pregnancy when you're trying to look at things like, are there systemic signs and symptoms? Is there a fever? You know, are there other things that necessitate a workup? So I think the bottom line is just look for worsening pattern of headache, lack of response to what you're using for that woman, and certainly new onset aura or worsening aura. But I'm interested if Dr. Stitka has anything to add to this. Um, One of the things that I've actually seen is that um, during pregnancy, it's not uncommon to see patients with um, sort of an atypical or complex, uh, you know, what my neurology teams call um, complex migraine, where they get um, change, some changes in their, in their aura. Um, I've seen people become aphasic transiently. I've seen people 
have numbness and tingling and, 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 and even muscle weakness unilaterally um, when they haven't had that before. Although occasionally a woman will say, oh, yeah, I had that one time, you know, five years ago. And then that makes me a little bit reassured. But when I totally agree, whenever um, there's a significant change in, in their, um, you know, uh, ad additional presentation that it's important to get neurology involved and to image women for um, other, other conditions that could be going on and not to just assume it's their migraine. Uh, do you think for some women, the worsening of an aura or what you mentioned with the more complicated uh, complex migraine, do you think that's due to the increase in estrogen? It's certainly possible. I don't think it's been as well worked out. Um, you know, previously in women who aren't pregnant, um, we know it's, it's, the, it's the fall in, in estrogen that triggers, that destabilizes the brain. And the estrogen, estradiol certainly isn't falling in pregnancy. And in fact, one of the reasons why migraines get better in pregnancy is because of the, in, the, the progressive increases in estradiol. Um, over the course of pregnancy, but what that does, you know, on us to, a, you know, a daily exposure to the brain, I don't think we really understand why, why sometimes women get, you know, atypical presentations or, or much more complex versions of their migraines than they, than they typically get. I don't think it's well understood. Yeah, that's so true. And we think that stability of hormones, including estrogen, mm -hmm. might play a role in a stabilization during pregnancy for up to 75% of women. And how would you order your MRI if you ordering it for a person who is pregnant? And would you use contrast? Gadolinium, which is the MRI contrast, is typically not recommended in pregnancy unless you absolutely have to. Um, and that's because of the concerns of the fetal ex, uh, exposure. There've been clear documentation of, of uh, rheumatologic or inflammatory infiltrated skin conditions in babies that have been exposed to gadolinium, as well as there's an increased risk of stillbirth and uh, neonatal mortality in these infants. So. My radiology department is much more interested in using time of flight for both the MRA and MRV um, uh, when they do their imaging. Um, and I, if I need imaging, I always get neurology involved because, you know, um, not every institution has a radiologist on site overnight that's able to read the MRIs accurately. Whereas I have a lot more confidence in my uh, neurology fellows who are there uh, to help read that, that study. I'm so grateful that we can work together, OBGYN family <laughs> practice in neurology. And I love that I heard that you considering studies in pregnancy, which include studying of vessels. You mm -hmm. mentioned MRA, MR venograms, and not using contrast uh, unless we completely have to. Um, what about other complications during pregnancy? Do you think that people who um, live in this migraine have more often 
preeclampsia, and if so, if one would come in, uh, how would you differentiate headache uh, from migraine attack? It's a very interesting situation that women who have had migraines prior to pregnancy or develop migraines early in pregnancy have a significant increased risk of developing um, hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, either gestational hypertension or preeclampsia itself. Um, multiple studies have shown that the risk can be as much as, as low as one and a half fold higher to as high as fourfold greater than the general population of women who do not get migraines. The exact mechanism as to why that occurs also, again, is not well understood. The, the two uh, conditions share many uh, physiological properties in terms of like endothelial, uh, you know, endo uh, vascular endothelial reactivity, um, as well as abnormalities in platelets and in inflammatory underlying, underlying inflammatory conditions. But why women with migraines are so predisposed to developing gestational hypertension, it is not, uh, it is not known. But preeclampsia is a significant uh, condition in pregnancy that affects about at least 8% 8 of the population. And depending upon, you know, your ethnic background, I mean, it can be even greater in different, in different groups. Uh, but how to differentiate them or how would I recommend uh, my patients with migraines be managed during pregnancy. I think it's really important to send, um, to give a woman with migraines early in pregnancy to encourage her to get a blood pressure cuff uh, so that she can uh, take her blood pressure at home so that every time she gets a migraine, she can check her blood pressure and not have to, you know, travel to the hospital to, to make sure she doesn't have preeclampsia because headache is a very common phenomenon in, in, um, as, as part of the presentation of preeclampsia. Uh, sometimes the headaches are very indistinguishable from migraine, although preeclampsic headaches tend to be more global and less unilateral, but some of the same scotoma, the flashing lights, the blurred vision, loss of vision, um, you see in women who either have flagrant preeclampsia or are developing preeclampsia. Uh, one comment, preeclampsia does not occur before 20 weeks, so you can be very reassuring to your patient that uh, she doesn't have to be worried about preeclampsia before the 20 weeks, but preeclampsia can develop at any point after, after uh, 20 weeks, and it's really important to identify that because it can pose both grave problems for, the, for both the mom as well as the fetus. My workup for that is, is clearly checking her blood pressure. Women in pregnancy tend to have lower blood pressure. So anybody who comes in with a blood pressure above 140, um, over 90, I get concerned about. Um, and there's a series of lab tests that we do, uh, looking at the liver functions, looking at platelets, um, looking at uh, the, what's called the protein-creatinine ratio, because preeclampsia affects renal function. And what you see is you see elevations in the loss of protein and proteinuria in women who are preeclamptic. Um, so these women, because they are very un uh, potentially unstable and it poses grave risks to the fetus, you need to identify them and get, get um, obstetrics clearly involved very early on in, the, in those management in patients. 
This is excellent advice and love that you recommend to monitor blood pressure at home and lab work when you suspect preeclampsia. And what, um, what is special, what is advice on people who living with migraine after delivery, um, let me ask Dr. Hutchinson. This is um, really interesting population in the way that needs special approach. Yes, Dr. Riggins, this is a very vulnerable time for women who perhaps their migraines improve during pregnancy, as you mentioned, most do. But at the time of delivery, there's a precipitous drop in the estradiol and that I think could be potentially one of the reasons. So women often have <clears throat> fairly immediate return of migraine. So I think if they're still in the hospital and have not yet been discharged, you certainly could do things uh, similar to what Dr. Sticka mentioned during pregnancy. You could offer the woman things like IV diphenhydramine. You could do IV um, B metoclopramide. And I think the one difference is once the woman's delivered, I would be comfortable also with doing Keterolac, either IM or IV. And that is one of the main differences is I would avoid nonsteroidals during pregnancy, but once the woman has delivered, I would be comfortable doing that. And then once the woman goes home, I would look at what was helping her prior to pregnancy. And I think you can go back to some of those treatments uh, but again, each woman has to be handled individually. But I think kind of a common theme would be things like diphenhydramine, metoclopramide, ketorolac, acetaminophen. Um, I would avoid aspirin um, because there is that risk of Rye syndrome in infants. So I would have the woman avoid aspirin if she was breastfeeding. What about differences in approach if someone breastfeeding, would you avoid or recommend some specific medications, Dr. Hutchinson? Yes, what's interesting, Dr. Riggins, is if you look, women that choose to breastfeed, often the return of their migraines is somewhat delayed. So I think that can be an advantage, but you do have to think about the effect on the fetus. So what I would recommend providers do is look at the medications that the woman potentially wants to return to using and look at the evidence on whether it would be safe in breastfeeding. There is a pump and dump concept. So let's say you had a woman who really wanted to be able to do injectable sumatriptan for a bad migraine, but she also wanted to breastfeed. She could potentially do the sumatriptan right after breastfeeding and it has a relatively short half-life and either delay the next breastfeeding or the pump and dump concept. So there's a lot of strategies you can use, but again, if women choose to breastfeed, which I'm very much in favor of, it often can delay the return of the migraine. Now for women that are not able to breastfeed, I think you can certainly go back to what the patient was taking prior to pregnancy, whatever worked for her at that time, I think you could go back to that treatment. Um, but you do have to think about this drop in estrogen. And one strategy potentially, I'm somewhat thinking out loud, would be if a woman chose not to breastfeed for whatever reason, perhaps an estradiol patch could be helpful in helping with that, that drop in estrogen. But great question, Dr. Riggins. I would love to add just, yes. just to explain a little bit about the benefits of breastfeeding in terms of physiologically <clears throat> what's happening. When women breastfeed, um, the elevations in prolactin uh, helps to suppress the return to menses. 
And so women postpartum have a relatively low level of estradiol, but it's stably low. And so you're, you're not getting the fluctuations that you typically have with menstrual cycles. So, so long as she's breastfeeding enough to maintain suppression of ovulation, that's where you're going to get the benefits on, uh, on especially women who typically previously got m menstrual migraines. Once her menses return, and for each woman, that's different. I mean, there are some women who, you know, the menses return, even though they are breastfeeding, um, you're going to get that recurrence of estradiol fluctuations, and her migraines are going to come back with a vengeance. So at that point, you know, you're really not getting the benefit anymore of breastfeeding. Uh, that's, I mean, I certainly support breastfeeding, but at that point, you're probably going to need, uh, you know, greater intervention for the migraine management. That That's excellent. I believe that will helpful for management of person living with migraine after delivery during breastfeeding. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today to share your clinical experiences. My experience with cooperating and working with, I mean, collaborating with neurology in, in OB triage uh, has greatly uh, helped me better understand migraine in pregnancy, and um, and and it helped me to 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 take care of my patients better. And I hope to impart some of that uh, knowledge to uh, people who are who are listening to this podcast. So I, I appreciate this experience and have very much enjoyed continuing this collaboration uh, with with providers outside of obstetrics. It's just been an absolute pleasure to be part of this podcast. I always learn when I do any of these projects with Dr. Stitka. And I think it's so important that we have this collaborative approach. And I'm so happy to be part of this project. So thank you, Dr. Riggins, for moderating this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for this special women's health episode of the First Contact Headache in Primary Care podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Listeners can find additional information and doctor verified resources about migraine treatment and management on the First Contact Headache and Primary Care website. Visit the site at AmericanHeadacheSociety.org slash primary care. This podcast is brought to you by the American Headache Society and made possible by Eli Lilly.